Sister Ingrid, hello. Uh, Michael's on. Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Good to see you guys. Good to see you too, my brother. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm glad you made it. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I really am. Like, this is the subject for the time. This is actually a subject for the time. So, you know, if the Lord blesses me to be able to be among other brethren doing this, I'm all about it. All about it. Yes, sir. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we are about to, well, actually, we should be getting started. Um, okay. Brother Akeem will jump on when he can. Okay. And I know that Brother Verlis has a few moments to be with us because I know you have a, a program starting exactly at seven. Yeah. And I know what it's like to have to start on time. So I will now hold you beyond that time. All right, my friend? No doubt. No doubt. Appreciate it, sir. All right. So what we're going to do now, we're going to start with a word of prayer. And I'm uh, just excited to talk about what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, Brother Ola, if you don't mind, just, just, just start us out. And then yep. we will do our pleasantries going forward. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're very grateful once more for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to use this platform to be able to study your word together. And we're grateful, Lord, that you allowed us to be able to be in good health and to have the opportunity to not only study these things out for ourselves, but also to share it with others, the importance of this message. And we just ask that the Holy Spirit may be here to lead and guide our thoughts and also the thoughts and the minds of the viewers and listeners. And we pray for your blessing and your spirit and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wonderful. There I see Brother James connecting. Yes, sir. He's made it. Praise God. Hello, everyone. Man of God. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're ready to start. But before we start, I just want to thank those who have already jumped on uh, on the webinar itself and those who are watching on Facebook joining the broadcast and those who will be listening on the podcast. Just want to welcome you guys to our discussion this evening. I have three special guests with me uh, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and their ministry. I'm going to begin with brother Akeem. You just came on, but it's okay. I will start with you and then we'll go to brother Verlis and we'll go from there. All right. So my name is Akeem James. I'm currently in Michigan and uh, I am attending Andrews and the ministry that I'm doing right now, which started in 2012 was a ministry by the name of ultimate cry. And so I've been doing that. Basically the emphasis is to proclaim the three angels messages and especially be prepared by the power of the spirit to give the fourth angels message. Um, and so that's pretty much it. Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Brother Verlis. Yes, sir. Um, my name is Michael, Michael Verlis, um, with Last Ray Ministries. Um, we uh, purpose to just teach justification by faith in the righteousness of Christ and the advancing light of the character of God to God's people. I, I strongly believe with all of my heart that when we understand and experience uh, righteousness by faith, that um, we will be fitted and prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ but more important than just for uh, salvation and translation, 
but we'll be fitted to actually vindicate the character of God in the time of earth history. That's going to be the worst that this earth has ever seen. Meaning that I, I literally expect us to have a higher experience than people like Elijah, people like Moses, people like Enoch who are already translated. I expect us to have that because we're living in the worst time, what's going to be the worst time in earth's history. So um, this ministry, we really purpose to teach and to learn and experience practically um, these truths, the third angels, yeah, even the fourth angels message to be able to finish the work. So we started back in 2000 and uh, I want to say 2014, 2014, 2015. Uh, 2015 is when we really started sharing online through videos and most currently uh, with podcasts. And it's been a rich, rich blessing to be able to share the word of God. It's, it's been very, very sweet. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Amen. Amen. And Brother Ola, you've been on my podcast once before, but just in case folks forgot who you were, uh, tell us, my man. Sure. Uh, my name is Ola. I'm currently a, at Tacoa Missions. I've been here since, since 2015. I was a student initially and later on came on board as one of the staff members. And I'm currently the director of outreach. So um, running the canvassing programs and, you know, doing evangelism, things like that. That's typically what I do. And it's been a blessing since I've been here um, since 2015 in the state of New Hampshire. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. So let's get to it. Um, just so everyone knows, Brother Verlis has to jump off early. So I'm going to point my question to him first. Mercy. And my brother, if you could be so kind as to help us uh, understand, define the phraseology. And I know it's, it's deep, but righteousness by faith. What, what is righteousness by faith? Why is it relevant for our time? Yeah, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to attempt to, to do this. It's, it's, you know, righteousness by faith is very, very simple, yet it's so deep and so broad, as you said, that um, it's easy to fall within the cracks of confusion um, if, you, if, if you get off of the, off of the right track, or if you get off the road. But um, when, when talking about righteousness by faith, uh, we're speaking about the righteousness of God. Um, and so if it's the righteousness of God, then of necessity, it must come as a result of the faith of God himself, mm. um, even the faith of Jesus Christ. Mm. So when we're looking at righteousness by faith, I always look at it from the lens of the righteousness of God, which must be produced by the faith of Jesus. My faith simply won't be sufficient unless it is empowered by the faith of Christ himself. Now, the reason why there's so much value in Christ in all of this, because Righteousness by faith is not separate from Christ. It doesn't work without him. Um, and so when looking at righteousness by faith, we see it as Christ as our righteousness in order for us to experience it as a, as a living reality. So I want to begin with Christ here. Um, Christ, what Christ has, and, and this will show us why our righteousness can be experienced by faith. What Christ has successfully done and accomplished in coming here to this world um, is that he has united all of divinity with all of humanity. That's mm. what he's done. He's united all of divinity with all of humanity, weak humanity, not the good ones because they don't need help, but the weak ones, the ones that have the sinful nature. He came to help them because they needed the help. Mm. And, um, and he produced what the Bible calls the righteousness of God. Um, Adam, when he was created, he was not called righteous. And so this righteousness is, is, a, is of a different quality this righteousness is a righteousness that has faced every single species of sin and temptation that anyone can imagine and more of necessity because, because Christ's character was higher than ours. 
And so we're talking about a righteousness that has faced every single species of sin and temptations that we could ever think of or imagine. Okay. So now Christ in coming in our condition, he could feel our temptations. He could feel our weaknesses. He, he really felt it. It wasn't like a pretend type of a game. He felt it and he faced it. And what he did is he never used his divinity to overcome. He never used his divinity to overcome. But rather what happened is that the father used his divinity and filled him with the infinity of the Holy Spirit in order to overcome every single species of sin and temptation that we could imagine, and thus produced what the Bible calls the righteousness of God. So that's the righteousness of God. It's an eternal attribute of God. It's an eternal attribute of God. It does not change. It's outside of time, meaning that if anything happens in time, in the space-time continuum, and that righteousness dwells inside of you, then you'll overcome whatever situation it is. So I'll give an example. Let's say sin comes before you. A temptation comes before you. Sin is something that dwells within the space-time continuum. So let's say sin comes before you. If the righteousness of Christ, which is the accomplishments of Christ, the success of God in sinful human nature, when that righteousness dwells inside of you by faith, by you literally trusting that Christ actually accomplished this as you, for you, in your weak, sinful flesh, if you believe that by faith, then when a, situ a sinful situation comes to you, then the righteousness of Christ, as you choose it, because you have to appropriate it, as you choose it, it will overcome the sin or whatever defect of character you may be suffering. It will overcome that when it comes before you. So, so simply put, as I just close the thought, simply put, the righteousness of God is a righteousness that has faced every single species of sin and temptation that we can imagine. The righteousness of God is a characteristic of God that dwells outside of time. It's eternal. It does not change. When that righteousness dwells inside, it doesn't matter if you are a sinner or not a sinner. If it dwells inside of you, when, 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 when the enemy comes in like a flood, right? The standard is lifted up. When temptation comes, you will overcome because temptation only lasts for a period of time. But this righteousness is outside of time. It's the eternal attribute of God, and it will give you the victory over all those things. So, so faith in that, in Christ, having had accomplished all of those things and produced that righteousness, is righteousness by faith. Mm. Well, in, in, in a short snippet, I, I don't want, I'm not the final authority on it. It's just you right, know, right, right, right. a short thought on that. Very good. Very good. Uh, Brother Akeem. Yeah, I would definitely um, agree. And uh, I would say that lately in looking at this topic, especially in light of the times that we're living in, I have realized that righteousness comes from one source but it's manifested in two ways. And one would be uh, Psalm 119, verse 172, where the psalmist says, my tongue shall speak of your words for all your commandments are righteousness. Hmm. And so the idea is that the law is righteousness, but what the law is, which is a manifestation of right doing, it cannot give. And so God says, because the purpose of the law is not to give righteousness, but to show what the standard of right doing looks like, I will then send, as Romans 3.21 states, a righteousness apart from the law. And that is none other than Jesus. And what I began to realize is that righteousness, therefore, is not just words written on stone. That's one part of it. But... According to Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, 
and I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it reveals that righteousness is a person. Mm. And so therefore, that means then I can have a relationship with righteousness. And in having that relationship, in beholding Jesus through his word, spending quality time with him, this aspect of right doing founded upon a heart that's regenerated by the love of God, that is what constitutes, um, in agreement with what Brother Verlis mentioned, that is what constitutes true righteousness. Right doing, but right doing not just because it's right, but right doing that comes from a heart that is activated by the love of God. And that is nothing that comes naturally. It's something that comes supernaturally. So God enables man to do right. But the reason that man is doing right is not because of the consequences of doing wrong. He's not doing right because of um, potentially being zapped by God. He's not doing it for any of those reasons. Mm -hmm. He's doing it because his heart is filled with the love of God. And so that's how I would explain righteousness. And so the result would be then, if I have a relationship with Jesus, who is righteousness personified, the law with hands and feet, if I have a relationship with righteousness, then as a result of that, the intimacy that happens between myself and Christ would result in the response of obedience. It would result in the law coming forth in the life, right? And so that's something that I've been noticing in my own Christian walk. When I spend more time with Jesus, obedience becomes natural. Inspiration says it can come to the point that it becomes our natural impulse to do what's right. Mm. And so, but if I, if I focus on, man, well, I just got to get this right. I just got to get this right. I just got to get this right. Then what happens is as I take my eyes off of Jesus mm-hmm. and focus it somewhere else upon the action, majority of the times I fail. But when I focus on Jesus, he enables me. He gives me enabling grace to do what he wants. And so this is what I see as righteousness by faith. The only way, as Brother Verla said, the only way that I can access that righteousness is through, it's not only God giving me the righteousness, but God also gives me the faith, which is like a hand to access that righteousness that I need, that right doing that I want to live out in my life. So, yeah, that's what very I good. Very good. Ola, before I get back to you, because Brother Verlis is about to jump off here, no I need problem. to, you said no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to I get his perspective a little bit now. I've, I've been an Adventist for a very long time. And for some with an Adventism, the idea of end time events is actually uh, a motivation, if you would, in a way to be right. And I'm just curious, you know, how, what do you prescribe, if you will, to persons of, of a mindset that are motivated by the external things that are going on versus what you seem to be talking about a very virtuous, very real vital connection. Yeah. Um, time is just, even Christ, I think this is in Desire of Ages, page 233, where it says that Christ used the time to be able to, as he was, as he was preaching his message. Um, so it's important to always present the time, uh, of course. 
Um, but that is not the thing that will, that's not a good motivator. It's, it's an emergency measure that God would use to give us a sense of holy urgency to realize our need of Christ. Uh, because he's the only he's the one that has produced this righteousness mm -hmm. and so righteousness it's not by fear it's it's by faith mm -hmm. and so if, if if you're trying to uh do the right thing or experience righteousness because of a fear of being lost that's the exact opposite of righteousness that's 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 a selfish motive actually you're you're, you're because you want to be saved you want to do the right thing because you see that things are going wrong in this world that that's that's not that's not how it works the time and, and the end time events is, are, are, are there because God said, God revealed that they would be there, but they're there to give you a sense of holy urgency to realize your great need of a savior, which is found in Jesus Christ. So, so, so uh, the, the statement that uh, has been floating around um, that from the spirit of prophecy that, um, oh, wow, it's escaping me right now, but basically that we shouldn't use time to urge people to accept Christ. Christ is attractive. Mm -hmm. um, he, he is the attraction. And so when you, as Brother Akim was just saying, as you shift, the time is there to shift your focus to Christ. As your focus shifts to Christ, uh, we're told on page 301 of Desire of Ages, paragraph two, I'm pretty sure it is, that the Holy Spirit never leaves unassisted the soul that is looking unto Jesus. Mm. So if we're, if we're just focused on looking at the times and, and, and watching, then we're going to wonder after the beast. But we're told that we need to watch and pray. So we watch, yeah, what's going on, but we need to also pray. So the Holy Spirit will never leave unassisted the soul that is looking unto Jesus. He will take the things of Christ and he will present them unto him. And when the eye is kept fixed on Christ, then the, then the work of the Spirit ceases not until that soul is conformed into his image. End time events are going on. But we have to, in continuing to study prophecy, we have to look into the fact that prophecy also shows that there's going to be a people that experience the righteousness of Christ. God is going to have a people who will experience a series of uninterrupted victories over mm -hmm. sin. Mm -hmm. And so, it, and so, okay, this is going on in the world. The papacy is doing X, Y, and Z, this, this, and that. This is really scary because the Bible said it was going to happen. But the Bible also says that a people is going to experience righteousness by faith. So focus in on that point. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that, 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 that will encourage every single soul, because it's encouraged mine and God designed it to melt the heart, is, is, is Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Hmm. Because in Hebrews 7 and verse 26, it says that we have such an high priest, meaning yeah. this kind of a high priest, a high priest after this order. We have such an high priest who became us. He became us. Yeah. This means that he, this is the most encouraging, well, I, I think this is one of the most encouraging things in the world because it paints us in the heart of Christ. Mm -hmm. He became us. If he, and I like to ask the question, if he became everyone in this room, except for you, then can that be true? Hmm. Right? That means that he became you. The gospel is not that, 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 that man becomes God. The gospel is that God became us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Mm -hmm. God with me. He's a personal savior. He has entered into our experiences. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our fears. He knows our difficulties. He knows all of our temptations and more. He has faced them all and more. And having had entered into our experience, he has lived out the perfect version of our life. So that when the prophecy says that God will have a people, a patient saints, keepers of the commandments of God, it's because Christ did that. So now when you experience him in your life, then he will do that in you. It will be a living reality in your 
life. So study the prophecies, realize the time that we're living in, but understand that in these times, which is the time of trouble, such as never was, God's people are going to have an experience such as never was because Christ is, he's intending on doing the work of produce, of re, let, let me read this statement over here. This is the last thing I'm going to read. This is on Desire of Ages 483. You're permitted to stay longer, but I know oh. you have to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to share this, just this 483, 483. It says, it says, it says this. I should have just had it open. All right, here it is. Okay. Because you see, this is a time of trial for a lot of people. You know, some people, um, you know, when, when, when this virus has come, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm lost. This is it. I'm not ready. I knew I was fooling around all along. Look, we're not lost just yet. When the time of trouble comes, you're going to know it. Nobody's going to need to put together well-edited YouTube videos to post or send you a WhatsApp message, message talking about the time of trouble is here. No, you're not going to need any of that because when it comes, we're going to know. Right. This is a time of peace. Let's let, com compare to the time of trouble. This is a time of peace. Mm -hmm. So what we can do in this time, let's get it done. We have this window of opportunity. Let's get it done. It's time to see Jesus. And, and, and in this time of, of trial for a lot of people, what I tell them is this. I just read the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. It says, this is a desire of ages, 483 paragraph one. It says, through all our trials, we have a never failing helper. Mm. He does not leave us alone to struggle with temptations, to battle with evil, to be finally crushed with the burdens and sorrow. Though now he is hidden from mortal sight, the ear of faith can hear his voice mm -hmm. saying, fear not, I am with you. Mm. So in this time of difficulty, which is not as difficult as what's getting ready to come, but in this time of difficulty, we have a never failing helper. He says, I am with you. He says, I am he that liveth and with dead. Behold, I am alive for every, forevermore. I have endured your sorrows. Mm. I have experienced your struggle. These are past tense uh, statements. Experienced, E-D. Experienced mm. your struggles. Encountered your temptations. I know your tears. Mm. I also have wept. The griefs that lie too deep to be breathed into any human ear, I know. Jesus knows all about our struggles and all of our troubles. And so there is nothing that you have experienced that Christ is not aware of because he not only experienced all that and much more in the garden of Gethsemane. What do we think that he went through there? Mm -hmm. All of our sins, all of our temptations, all of our weaknesses, all of our bitterness, resentment, anger, all those things that was, he had to face the horror of all of our sins in that worst condition. Mm -hmm. God was dealing with us in Christ during that point in time. And then we find that with Christ, he had gained the victory. He overcame. So we all in this time, we have a never failing helper in Christ. And so therefore, what this means all in all is that Christ is our righteousness. Mm -hmm. We need not have any fear because Christ never had any fear. And so if Christ never had any fear and he's dwelling in me, then I will have no fear. We, we need not have any hate or anger or bitterness against anyone who has done wrong to us because if Christ is in us, then he will love and forgive everyone that's inside of our heart. You see, so Jesus does this transforming work inside of our heart. And that's what we need right now because that's why a lot of people, a lot of us realize that we're lost if Christ comes right now because we still have this stuff in our heart. When Christ dwells within, he creates love for the unlovable. He creates forgiveness for the unforgivable. He does those, these are creative properties of the eternal God that are now placed within sinful humans.
Right. Because Christ took upon himself the sinful human nature and he, and he accomplished those things in the sinful human nature. He became us mm. and he accomplished those things. And so when we have that faith, trusting and depending upon the word of God alone, expecting that word to do exactly what it said it's going to do. When we trust that word alone, then those things are going to happen. If, if we're struggling with homosexuality, Christ will impute in us his heterosexuality. Mm. Anyone who is in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. I'm talking about eternal realities that are already accomplished in Christ that become a living reality in your life when you allow him to dwell within the heart. Amen. So I think just with that, you shall be saved. You sh of, ne of necessity, you shall be saved because what other way can we be saved unless we have this mind of Christ which produces the righteousness of God if we choose to obey day by day? I stop here because I think Jesus is enough. I really believe Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. Brother Verlis, it is 6.54. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for jumping on with us. I'm so glad. The word has been received and it will be shared, my man. Amen. Amen. All I'm going right. to check out the rest because I want to hear my brother Ola and the rest of the thoughts from the brethren. <laughs> yes, yes. God Amen. bless you all. Blessings. Blessings. All right, Blessings. Brother, brother James, in, in that same vein, when we're talking about righteousness by faith and end time events, practically speaking, uh, how how are they married together? You know how how are they married together? Yes, so uh, that's a powerful question. Uh, one of the things that I've been looking at, and this is within the past, I would say two years. Uh, this is something that has really transformed my life and the way that I look at end time events. Was that we understand that our time finds a parallel in previous events. Okay. Um, such as we know, like things with Noah and the flood, we, we understand with Jesus's time. And so I was looking at Jesus's time and the probationary time periods throughout history. Hmm. And something that I looked at during Jesus's time is that when Jesus started off his public ministry, that ministry was at the very end of a probationary time period. Hmm. Um, it 490 year prophecy was coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And so he started off his ministry in the last week. And you would think, even though it's scattered throughout, the emphasis is not what I'm going to mention. But if what is emphasized by Christ is received, it would prepare for the end of that time period. Yes. Okay. So the emphasis of Christ. So he started off. His, his foundational text was the time is fulfilled. Mm. And so I was thinking, okay, let's do some research. I would go back to the Gospels and I would look at Jesus' messages after that statement. And so I expected every chapter to be then a prophecy. And mm. I expected every chapter to point to the closing probation of the Jewish nation that was approaching. Mm. However, what I found was almost completely different. While you have the Matthew 24 and the, the Luke 21, these things dealing with the end time events and certain parables that shows the coming destruction, the emphasis of Christ was practical living. Hmm. That was his emphasis. He pointed men to the things around them to teach them to have faith in him. Because he knew that once they got the practical lessons he was trying to teach, they would automatically be ready for when 34 AD came. Mm. 
right? So I was looking at this and I was like, wow, let me do some more research. And as I started studying more, I was seeing it even more. And that brought me to what I was realizing. Um, it brought me to this statement that uh, Brother Verlus mentioned. And I was wondering, man, I would expect every chapter of the Gospels to be a Matthew 24. I would expect every chapter to contain a prophetic message. And we know, yes, we can look back at the parallels and we can see prophetic messages in them. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis of the actual story, Jesus was trying to show them how to purify their hearts. At one moment, somebody came to them, came to him and said, what work must we do in order to, to, to be saved, in order to prepare for what's coming? Mm-hmm. And Jesus's statement is profound. And it goes along with the theme of righteousness by faith. He says, this is the work of God to believe on him whom God had sent. So in other words, the emphasis of Christ was having faith in him. That was his emphasis. And that's when it made sense to me, the correct parameters of prophecy and righteousness by faith. Mm. I realized prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is to captivate but the purpose of pointing people to Christ is so that they can be sustained. Mm. One captivates, one sustains. If we remain on that thing that captivates, I realized unless we see Christ in it, as inspiration tells us, we must lift up the prophetic word, mm-hmm. but we must also lift up the Lamb of God. If you lift up the prophetic word alone, but do not show men and women how to come in relationship to Jesus, to access him by believing. Then what happens is that ultimately as time goes on, their religion then is based on fear and upcoming events rather than on sustaining a relationship with the Lord and walking in him daily. So hence we become a movement of future truth instead of present truth right right so that's where it gets so dangerous and that's where the statement that brother verlis mentioned came to mind and it, it totally transformed my view this is the statement it's found in lift him up page 38 page 98 sorry lift him up page 98 and for those who want the original reference it's found in review and herald august 2nd 1881 paragraph 6 Review and Herald, August 2nd, 1881, paragraph 6. And this is what this statement says. The shortness of time is frequently urged as an incentive for seeking righteousness. We're talking about righteousness by faith. And making Christ our friend. So in other words, man, I want to escape what's coming. I I, I don't want to be lost. I think I'll make Christ my friend right now. And so Christ becomes basically a friend, as we would say it in the world, a friend with benefits. Mercy. Rather than someone that we actually are in love with, right? Mm. And so it says, this should not be the motive with us. She's not saying we can't talk about prophecy, but she's saying that shouldn't be the motivation. I love how um, Brother Verlis put it. He said, God uses prophecy in the case of emergency. That's why it's scattered all throughout the Bible, because men and women needed something to shake them up as a, as a, as a final call from God. Mm-hmm. But it continues. 
It says, this should not be the great motive with us for its savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God should be held before us that we may be compelled to right action through fear? It ought not be so. Jesus is attractive. He is full of love and mercy and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. So I would conclude my statement by saying the relationship between both of them is that we must see both of them, but we must realize that our motivation for preaching the prophetic is because we know him who is present with us at every moment, Mm. because we have an ever abiding friend who loves us and cares for us. And once that is our motivation, we would rather die than sin. Yes. So that's that's how I would conclude. That's powerful. That's powerful. I have so much that I want to say, but I I have guests. So I want to invite my guests. You can go ahead. No, no, brother Ola, I have a question for you now. (laughs) In light of what brother Akeem has shared, what is the danger then of the overemphasis in one area of, of prophecy? You know, like if I'm just like, yo, Sunday law is coming tomorrow. The, mm-hmm. the economy's crashing the next day. The COVID virus is the beginning of the seven last plagues. Okay. With that anxiety that's there, what's, what's the danger in going in that direction? Well, the one of the biggest dangers is that's not what jesus did so the text that akeem brought up which was in mark chapter 1 I believe it's 14 and 15 jesus says you know he starts off saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand so he's giving the time but right after he says repent ye and believe the gospel so the purpose of him giving the time was to point people to the gospel there's an example in the first chapter of the book the great controversy where there's a man who for seven years is going around saying, woe to Jerusalem, woe to Jerusalem. And, you know, he's basically telling everybody what's going to happen, the destruction of Jerusalem, which Jesus himself prophesied. So he's basically like showing the times, the signs of the times and putting the heavy emphasis on that. But then he's, it says that he goes day and night and he doesn't stop until he gets killed in the same siege that he was talking about was going to happen. And the very next sentence says that not one Christian died in that siege. Mm. So just necessarily preaching or telling people, you know, the signs of the times or what's going to happen, what's coming and everything like that doesn't make you a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the main emphasis on these things, like we said, like there's nothing wrong with prophecy. Jesus himself says, I tell you before it comes to pass, but the reason why he does is he says, so that when it has come to pass, you might believe, you might have faith. You may believe that I am he as it says in John 13. So that is one of the main dangers. And then of course, you know, one thing that in my own personal life that I noticed is there's lots of heavy emphasis and pointing to, you know, the man of sin or the beast and, you know, things like this. And we already know that by beholding you become changed. Mm -hmm. So when we're constantly pointing people to the beast and saying, look at the beast and look at what the beast is doing, we're being transformed into the image of the beast. Mm-hmm. but we're not pointing people to Jesus and trying to be transformed into his image. And the main problem with that is that, you know, at the end of the day, you can know what's going to happen and you can have an understanding of the signs of the times and everything. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter. You're lost. 
you can be just like the person in that first chapter of the great controversy. So that's what one of the, the main dangers is. And that's why, as Akeem was beautifully saying, like Jesus himself is attractive enough to bring people to him. Now, you might have to, as the Bible says in, I think it's um, in Jude, like save people out of the fire by fear. But fear is not to be there throughout the entire time. So when you look at the, the parable of the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish, all of them knew the signs of the times. They all, you know, knew that the bridegroom was coming, but they all slumbered and slept. But when the midnight cry came, behold, the bridegroom is here, go ye out to meet him. Only those who had oil inside their vessels were able to actually go in. So even though they all knew the signs of the times, only the wise ones had the Holy Spirit with them. And without the Holy Spirit, knowing the signs of the times and all this heavy emphasis, it does not save you. So the important thing is to tell people, you know, what is coming so that we can know what's going on and to show, you know, that Jesus, what he said is true and what, that he, what he said is real. But at the end of the day, we should lift up the Lamb of God and point people to him to have that relationship with him, to know who he is and to be transformed into his image so that when the time actually comes, when we need to exercise that faith, which is essential at this time, we'll be able to ex access it because we have access to Christ himself, that he may give us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live this righteous life, but not, you know, by our works, but by faith. Okay. Very good. So I know that I'm, I'm, I'm probably foreseeing another response. Somebody says, you know what? I just, just tell me about Jesus. I don't need to know Mm -hmm. about these signs i just need to know about jesus and what do you what what is your response to that brother i came when someone t says that well i would say that you know a good portion of scripture that's a powerful question a good portion of scripture is prophetic and so it has to be there um for a purpose and what i've noticed is that um this purpose is actually listed so there's a the, the reason for prophecy is, is twofold. One is, yes, to show us what's coming. But the other aspect is so that something might happen with us. Okay. Um, we've heard the text before. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Mm -hmm. It gives us, that's like a shining light. And the ultimate result of that light is that the day star rises in us. Mm -hmm. And we know that day star to be Jesus. But there's another text that I looked at, and this is found in John 13 and verse 19. Hmm. John chapter 13 and verse 19. And this shows the reason why not only one portion of the word of God must be studied, but every portion of it, which would include the prophetic aspect. Mm -hmm. And so this is what it states here. And this text is very profound. I mean, all the scripture is profound, but in light of the topic we're talking about, it says in verse 19, now... I tell you before it come to pass. The context is the prophecy concerning the betrayal of Judas mm. and that Judas would betray Jesus Christ. And so as this is happening, Jesus tells them what's coming. He, he later on at the same, around the same time, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And so he begins to tell them what's going to happen. We would call that the prophetic. We would call that prophecy. Mm-hmm. And then he states, I tell you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, that's fulfillment now, you may believe that I am here. Yes. Right? And something profound about this verse that I saw, brethren, is that the word he, 
in most Bibles is italicized, right? <laughs> that means it's not there in the original Greek. So literally, the, the verse reads, Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am. Mm. And so the purpose of the prophetic is that if we miss one aspect of God's word that he has given us for our benefit, mm -hmm. then what will happen is that there's an aspect of faith that will be missed. Because prophecy is to produce faith in our hearts yes the reason that it happens practically is because hey if god knows the details of the future with such pinpoint accuracy surely he knows the details of my life yes and if that's the case then whoa prophecy really helped me to believe in jesus to trust yes. him in the present yes and so that's one of the things i was pointing out on um social media the other day i was real i was reading this verse and i was like wow it's no wonder while God calls himself um, he who was, is, and is to come, he also acknowledges himself as the I am, mm -hmm. giving us the understanding in the Hebrew mind, this actually meant to them that he was the one who is ever present. Huh. And so for us, it's not that in the context of the story, Jesus is not saying I, I was or I will be. He's saying presently, I am ever with you in every circumstance yes and so because of this now you can believe that if i'm with you i'm going to be doing something for you i'm mm -hmm. going to try to help you i'm going to do everything within my power to save you and so pr this is why while we may want to yes we always want to see the lamb of god in everything we must realize that there's a dimension of the bible in which god has revealed himself along with every other dimension and that is the dimension of prophecy, the aspect mm -hmm. of prophecy. So we can't leave that out because right. all of the word of God is to instill faith in us. Amen. I, I definitely want to say something after that because that is why I love the Bible. Mm -hmm. Before, you know, I've, I've gone to church. I've heard people preach all the time. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then when I sat down, I start walking through what, the Bible said what happened. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. If it said exactly that, mm -hmm. then I can trust it with my life. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I began to go a little bit further and I started seeing how Jesus would interact with like Abraham. And he would, he would say, man, I, I want to tell him something, but I, and then he's holding back. And he's like, no, but I have to tell him because he's my friend. Amen. And so to me, prophecy is like this friendship with God where God's letting you know the moves ahead of time. So you can cooperate with his movements. It's like a, it's, it's, this, it's this relationship. So it's not some separate doctrine that doesn't need to be dealt with. It is the expression of God and allowing you to enter into God's movements in union with him. So it's, it's just very interesting when we, when we look at it that way. And the other part that actually hurts my soul a little bit is that, you know, I, you know recently I've been on Facebook more. You know, I, I re really haven't wanted to be on Facebook but I say it's a platform for ministry. So I've been on Facebook more, joining all these groups. And some of these groups now, I mean, it's like, uh, it really hurts my heart because there's this, this idea that I'm looking for persecution. I'm looking for all these issues to come. And then when you're engaging with these people, not kind, 
not loving, mm. not patient, not long-suffering. So they're looking at events absent of the, the spirit of Christ. And now we're preaching end time prophecy absent of Christ. And it's just, it really hurts my heart to know that other people will look at us and say, they don't really love Jesus. They, they don't really love Jesus. They're, they just hate on the Catholics. They're just hating on the Baptists. They're just hating on people that don't believe what they believe. It's, it's almost like the devil played us on our own message. Wow. wow. And it's like, do we love Jesus? If we love him, then that will be our discussion. That will be our motivation. That will be the all-consuming idea. Is Jesus enough? Is he lovely enough? Yes, he is in every aspect. Mm-hmm. In every aspect. Amen. But it, it is. Uh... Mm-hmm. I, let me ask a question. Because I think I said enough on that. <laughs> Let me ask a question. Practically speaking, how is because someone's listening right now? I know someone's listening. Someone's going to scroll down the page on YouTube. They're going to catch this one moment that I'm going to ask this question. Mm-hmm. Practically speaking, how do I enter into this relationship mm-hmm. uh, and br- unbroken communion with the Most High? How does that happen? where righteousness really is manifested because I keep falling. I keep going into the stuff I said I didn't want to go into. How, how does that take place? I'll start with Brother Ola, then we'll go back to Brother Hakeem. Yes. Yeah, when you look at, it's funny that you bring that out. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is basically giving an allegory where there's a person who is going through a struggle where the things that they want to do, they're not able to do. And the things that they don't want to do, they find themselves mm-hmm. doing. And they're having this back and forth where it's like, I want to be able to keep the righteousness of the law, but there's another law in my, in my flesh that's warned against the law of my mind and is bringing me into captivity. And then at the end, he makes this cry, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says at the end, I thank God, I praise God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, so that with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he goes on into chapter eight, because, you know, there's no breaks in the original um writings of the of the greek and then he says there is no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit so the most important thing that we need is the holy spirit so when you look at a tree because the holy spirit is the one that produces the fruits you never see uh an orange tree struggling to produce Mm -hmm. apples because that is not what the tree was made for. That is not, you know, how the tree works. The apple tree is made to produce apples. The orange tree is made to produce oranges. The peach tree is made to produce peaches. So when the Holy Spirit is there, the righteousness comes naturally. Hmm. It's not something that's forced because the Bible says in Isaiah 64, I believe it's verse six, that we're all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to even do the right thing, and we do do the right thing, absent of Christ, it's filthy rags. God can't accept it. But when we do it through Christ, by faith, believing that even if I do this, it's not going to merit me anything. I'm just doing this because I love Jesus. That is the, the most important motivational factor, having that real and genuine love for Christ. Because when I have, like my brother and my sister, they're one of the two of the closest people to me in the world. I don't text them all the time because I'm trying to earn something for them or I want them to give me money or I want them to do something for me. I do it because I love them. 
And when you love people or when you love God, when you love Jesus, you'll be willing to do things for him. Mm-hmm. It's not considered a sacrifice to say, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not a sacrifice to say, I'm not going to go here anymore. It's me just acting out what I know would please him the most. Because the way that he lived his life, as it says in John, I think it's 829, where he says, he that is with me has sent me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Mm-hmm. His entire life and mindset was on doing those things that are going to please God. So another thing is when it comes to relationships in general, you can't love somebody that you don't spend time with. Mm-hmm. If you're not spending time with Christ, you're not going to fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. The more that you behold Christ, the more attractive that you see that he is and the more that you fall in love with him. So mm-hmm. practically speaking, reading the Bible, it's almost a lost art nowadays mm-hmm. where people don't want to pick up the book because they think God can't speak to them personally. Mm-hmm. So they need to hear somebody else preach it to them. They need to go somewhere to receive their blessing mm-hmm. instead of God having that communion with them personally and speaking to them personally. Mm-hmm. Not only that, prayer is another lost art. People, you know, prayer is like one of the last things on people's minds. If you lose something, you're always thinking, okay, where did I last put it? Instead mm-hmm. of, Lord, where did I put my keys? Can you help me to find it? The, the, if we had a, a conscious, and this is the same way that Enoch walked, having that actual conscious thought that God is with me all day long. Like he's actually literally with me. You wouldn't, if, if me and Akeem were walking down the street and, you know, we're going on a drive somewhere, wouldn't it be awkward if we were going on like a five hour drive and none of us said anything to each other? Mm-hmm. So that's sometimes the way that we treat God. And it's important that, you know, when we're walking about, by the way, when we're doing anything, when we're doing work or anything, that we actually lift up our minds and our thoughts to God and commune with him. So this is the way that prayer can, you know, instead of being like a ritualistic form, it's something that it's just a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly having that communion with God and you're constantly being taught things by him. You're constantly speaking to him, opening your heart to receive him and him speaking back to you through his word. It's truly the greatest way to really develop that relationship with him. And so those two basic practical things that we can do, prayer and continual prayer, communion with God, and reading the Bible, those are the probably the two most basic things that anybody can do, that everybody has access to, that will literally enable them to have that relationship with Christ that they need. Amen. Brother James. Yeah, I would definitely, amen, I would definitely agree with that, Brother Ola. It's something that I've noticed in my life and in the lives of others that I've studied with, that when you really spend time in the word, it really changes your life. I remember I was studying one time with a gentleman um, and he was actually, I never said anything about it. And this is really the power of the word. Hmm. I was studying with him. We were going through Bible studies. And as we were going through the studies, something so, it was so, it blew my mind. When I left there, I was just, you ever had those moments when God just did something so powerful? Mm-hmm. You get into a, a private place when you leave that place, wherever the miracle happened, and all you could do is shout hallelujah, mm-hmm. right? Because it was so powerful. And that day we were studying. And as we were studying, this gentleman, he was actually uh, cohabiting with someone. Um, and so he was living with, with a woman that he was in love with, but he wasn't married to. 
And so as he was, that was going on, I never, I said, I'm not, unless you convict me, Lord, I'm not going to address that. Or, or maybe later on, way down the line, mm-hmm. um, something like that would happen. But I said, what I will do now is show him the love of Christ and study with him and try to come near him, gain his trust, gain his confidence, as it said with Jesus, as Jesus did. And so I continued to do that. And we started doing the lessons and we, st- we kept studying. And then we came to a lesson that had nothing to do with what his lifestyle was like. And as we were looking through the things of the word, all of a sudden he said, Akeem, the word of God is so powerful. Mm. And I know that what I'm doing here in living with this sister is not right. Mm. Friends, I didn't have to say, guys, I didn't have to say anything, right? Mm-hmm. But just by studying the word, that conviction came to him by the power of the spirit. And so the result was that he saw the need for change in his life and he started making steps in that direction. And so what I realized is that what's happening is something supernatural when we study the word. Uh And that is that it begins as I love to say it this way in beholding the word on page, we are beholding the word made flesh. Hmm. And so what happens is, As Brother Ola mentioned, in beholding what happens, there's a transformation. There's a change that takes place. Our lives comes more and more in harmony with that which we are studying. And so that's one reason, that's one thing I would say to spend quality time in agreement with what was mentioned before, to spend quality time with God in his word. The Zara of Ages actually mentioned of Jesus. And of course, it was the whole thing. But the idea was it was almost like he knew the entire word itself. Mm-hmm. And that just makes sense because he was the word made flesh, right? And he spent time, intense mm-hmm. time in the word. And so that's one thing I would say to dedicate time, especially in the morning, to spend time with God in his word. You may start off with 10 minutes. And as you go along, you'll realize that as you begin to see the beauty of Jesus more, you will end up making more time. Mm-hmm. to spend with him and it will grow so much until i would submit to you that you get lost in time mm. you begin to see so much of the beauty uh one person says it this way the world has been darkened through a misapprehension of the character of god mm. and so if god's character can then be seen for what it is men will be so attracted to it that that's all they can think about. The reason I say to spend time in the morning learning how to study the Bible and the principles of interpretation is because what I've noticed in my own Christian walk is that what I study in the morning is the very thing that I'm tested on during the day. Mm. And so if I'm not, if I don't get that quote unquote morning manna, then I will not be sustained in the trial that comes throughout the day. And that's why many fall throughout the day. Hmm. And so that's why I would submit, it, submit that to us. But then the other thing is no relationship blossoms in a monologue, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there has to be a dialogue between God and man. The word, yes, is God speaking to us. 
but as, but as Brother Ola mentioned, prayer is us speaking to God. And so there's a dialogue that's happening and we can talk to God at any moment during the day. We can talk to Jesus at any moment, in any circumstance. Nehemiah, when he was in the moment, when he was in a tough moment, when the king asked him a question, why are you so distraught? We are told in the scriptures that he just threw up a prayer right there mm-hmm. and God heard him. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, yes, we should dedicate time to, to bend the knee and to spend time with God. But throughout the day, as we're walking in different places and as we're alone, we can talk to Jesus. Yes. The result will be that the hue of his character would rest on us. And then lastly, I would mention this. And this is found in Christian service, page 100, paragraph five. Hmm. So one is the word, one is prayer. And then the other is entering into the experience of Christ. This also keeps us. And this is what it says here. Christian service, 100 paragraph five, strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. Come on. Right? Mm-hmm. So God is showing us that it's, yes, the word, prayer, but as, as many put it, evangelism, reaching out to others, telling others of Jesus, doing acts of kindness, serving others, and uplifting them with words of encouragement, Mm -hmm. seeing their need and meeting that need. Yes. Um, In uh, days of conflict, desire of ages, we are told of Jesus. This is the beauty of Jesus. And we realize why now in the Gospels he receives so much power. We are told there that many a time Jesus would be with his brothers and he would be going to get something to eat. Mm-hmm. And as he got that thing, thing to eat, you know where I'm going, Brother Ola, as he got mm-hmm. that thing to eat, he would then be walking on his way and he would see a soul that was hungry. And she says that at times he would, at certain points, go starving that that soul might have something to eat. And child. so he would give the person the food. <laughs> and as he's giving it to them, Pastor, Pastor Waller and Brother Ola, as he's giving it to them, he would then quote a text that would uplift them. Mm. And so they were getting the bread, the physical bread, and they were getting the spiritual bread. Through acts of kindness and service, that's how Jesus also overcame. And mm. so it will be with us as we seek to help others and not focus on ourselves, what we will realize is we gain a new spiritual level yes. in our Christian experience. So those are the three practical points that I would bring up. And Amen. to piggyback on that last one, mm-hmm. there's a there's somewhere I read, I don't remember where it says, but it says, you know, basically that God can give the gospel to the world without us, that he doesn't need us in order to be able to do that. But in order for us to develop a character like his, that's why he enables us to be able to enter into his work. And he knows that's what we need. Hmm. And another thing that kind of like what you were mentioning is, you know, the studying of the Bible, the Bible is powerful, but sometimes the way that we, we can read it is we're looking at it strictly on an informational standpoint. We're seeking to get information from the scriptures, but we're not looking for Christ in the scriptures. Hmm. So when you look for Jesus in the scriptures, you can literally read, you know, the same passage over and over and over and over again, 
and you'll get something new from it because you're trying to make it personal and practical to your life. I remember I would read first Corinthians 13 every single day for mm. years. And then there was just, and I realized it was kind of just getting into like a habit. Okay. I'm just going over it. And then one day I was like, all right, Lord, show me something here. And then as I was going through it, I saw something that I'd never seen before. Mind you, I've been reading it every day for years. Mm. So that's just the, you know, the in, infinitude of God's word that he's it's able to be it's personal mm -hmm. and he wants to speak to you personally so when you're studying the scriptures just get out of the rut of just looking at information okay and that's another thing when it comes to prophecy lots of times we look at it as information but we're not looking for Christ in the prophecy mm -hmm. we're not looking for you know how this prophecy or end time events or whatever affects my life today if we were to look at it from that standpoint you would get a lot more out of it because okay, let's say, you know, Corona, um, it's going to lead to this, whatever, whatever. Okay, but what does that have to do with me? How does that affect my walk with Christ? And how can this make my walk with Christ better and enable me to lift up other people to have a walk with Christ? Because if it's just information, it's like, okay, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Great. And then I just go on my merry way. And then I'm destroyed in that siege. It doesn't, it, it doesn't help. So the most important things when we're studying, you know, or even sharing end time events is where is Christ in it and how does it apply to me and how can I use that not only for my own spiritual benefit, but for the spiritual benefit of other people as well. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read a quotation to you guys and we're going to, I want your comments on it and then we're going to come to a, try, try to draw this to a close, but this comes from the book Desire of Ages and it's page 324. And I think you guys know what it is, says already, but I'm going to read it anyway. It says, when the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought, which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into the human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world. And he intends that no authority shall be known in it, but his own. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. But unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. We must inevitably be under the control of the one or the other of the two great powers that are contending for the supremacy of the world. It is not necessary for us to deliberately choose the service of the kingdom of darkness in order to come under its dominion. We have only to neglect to ally ourselves with the kingdom of light. If we do not cooperate with the heavenly agencies, Satan will take possession of the heart and will make it his abiding place. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. Unless we become vitally connected with God, we can never resist the unhallowed effects of self-love, self-indulgence, and temptation to sin. We may leave off many bad habits for the time we may part company with Satan. 
but without a vital connection with God, through the surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment, we shall be overcome. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy and we shall do his bidding in the end. Desire of Ages 324, paragraph one. Wow. Now I've read that paragraph before. I've meditated on it. I've thought about it. And it's profound. Yes. I mean, it seems to have all the instruction necessary uh, in order to have a vital, fervent, powerful life uh, in Christ. My question is, the person that listens to that and reads it, and I know you gave some practical answers already. What could you say to someone that hears that being said and says, you know what? Uh, I don't know about that. Mm. I've tried Mm. and I failed. So what do you say to someone like that? I've tried and I failed. I'm done. I mean, well, something I would say, and you know, in light of you reading that question, Pastor Waller, and then um, reading that statement and then asking that question, that was actually what was on my mind. The mm. question you were going to ask. So that's, that's powerful. So something I was thinking of is that that's something I have experienced, um, which is that, and God has truly comforted my heart in that respect, which is, the growth of the Christian, and we hear the Bible and the spirit of prophecy comparing the growth of Christian at times to a plant. And the thing is, <laughs> the thing is with a plant, the growth of a plant is imperceptible to the human eye. As it's growing, you could sit in front of that plant and you can look at it and not even realize that it's growing. However, If you come away from it for a time and you come back, you realize that it did grow, right? Mm -hmm. And so I realized that that is many times how our Christian experiences as where some people may say, well, I've tried this. I've, I've studied the Bible. I've, I've been spending time with God in prayer. Um, It's not as consistent as I would like it to be, but, but I've made times where I spend time with him in prayer and I don't see any immediate change. Mm. I feel like I'm failing over and over and over again, falling into the same sins that I want to escape from. Mm -hmm. And so the question then is, is it working? Mm. And so many times people try it for a season Mm. and due to not seeing immediate results by beholding Jesus, they end up coming away from it. But something that I've realized in life is that as you persist and as you continue, the beginning stages all throughout this thing of the Christian experiencing the righteousness of Jesus is an experience of faith. That means you won't immediately see the changes, even though it's happening. Because like a plant the changes of the Christian life from glory to glory, at times it's imperceptible to the human eye. Mm -hmm. But as time goes along, what I've also seen 
is I remember one day I was thinking, I was like, God, am I really growing in you? Am I really changing? And this was about probably five or six years after I really accepted Christ and, and joined the movement. I was thinking, Lord, am I really changing? Is my life really going anywhere? I, I don't feel anything. And then God was like, all right, stop. Look back hmm. at your past history. And usually God calls us to move forward. Yes. But I realize there are times when God says, in order to encourage us, he says, now look back. And as you look back, you begin to realize there were things that you once, did, that you once used to do that you're not doing anymore. Mm -hmm. There are things that you once loved that you now hate. Mm -hmm. There are things that you once hated that you now love. And so you begin to realize that, whoa, my spiritual taste buds are changing. And that's not the work mm -hmm. of humanity. Mm -hmm. That's a divine work. That means God is changing me moment by moment. And what he's calling me to do is don't focus on yourself. See your sin. See your inconsistencies. But don't focus there. Hmm. instead turn to me and continue to follow me one of my mentors said it this way he says akeem at least until we reach that point where god totally wipes the character clean and restores it fully in his image there is a step-by-step -step process and he said to me akeem at every phase of the christian experience there is some species of error that God is trying to get rid of in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we are told that as well in scripture and the spirit of prophecy, God begins to uncover to us as we draw closer to Christ, we begin to see more and more our own defects of character to reform. And so I began to realize, yes, this will be a lifelong journey. But at the same time, God is saying, you're not what you once were. So your goal, my goal, therefore, he was telling me, is to continue focusing on me. If you continue to focus on me, I won't begin a work. I've never been known to begin a work and not complete it. Mm -hmm. So I will start and I will finish what I start. However, the finishing process is a cooperative process. You must also focus your eyes on me. And as you do that, from glory to glory you go. One rung of the ladder to the other until we are told we enter right into glory. So my, my, my summarizing that I would say to the person who has that question, don't give up. Mm -hmm. If you've started, don't give up. And if you're wondering whether you should start because it seemed like you'll get nowhere, I say start. Mm. And as you start, remain consistent. All we need do is to focus our eyes upon the son of man. And he will take us step by step. That is the most consistent process that we need. And the rest of the, the hardships of life and the test of life and the work that God calls us to do, it will come. But it, it starts with the consistency of beholding. Yes. Amen. 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 Belola? Yeah. So even before I get to what I was saying, based on like what Akeem was saying, there was a point where he was talking about you know, looking back to see where you were and seeing where you are and seeing that difference and that growth for encouragement, that'd be a good, uh, another practical thing that people can do is to start a prayer journal. Mm -hmm. My, I think my sister, she was telling me about it. She had started a kind of a prayer journal, but she does like voice memos. 
So she'll record, you know, an experience that she's going through and then she'll record like how God brought her through. And then every now and then, like maybe she'll be going through something, she'll go back and listen to her own voice and, mm. you know, saying the trials and things that she's going through. And then she'll listen to the one where God was able to bring her through. And that really encourages her and lifts up her soul too. Mm. So that's another practical thing that we can do. But as far as, it was funny because he brought up, you know, nature. And yes. one thing that I was thinking of was the field. So in uh, Luke chapter eight and other different parables, Jesus likens the heart as the field. And inside the field, you know, the seed is going to be sown, which is the gospel. But there's different types of, you know, soil. And it's the good soil that brings out the most fruit. But, you know, there are some soils where, you know, it's, on the wayside, stony places, there's thorns and different things like that. And as in the natural, so in the spiritual. So we're blessed in New Hampshire to have, oh, we're called the granite state for a reason. We <laughs> so grow we, grow, we, grow, we grow rocks. <laughs> so not only the stones, but also the weeds and things like that. So when you, and Sister Wise says like, you know, nobody just settles on a new piece of land and expects it at once to build a harvest you know, there's work that needs to be, be put in, it needs to be tilled, it needs to be cleared of the weeds and removed of the stones and everything like that. But one thing that I noticed is, you know, last year you can get rid of like all the stones in the garden and everything. The next year, there's stones there. <laughs> they just keep coming up. And it's the same thing with weeds. So you'll get rid of the weeds and then the next year, there's more weeds. Or even later on in the same year, there's more weeds. But what you have to do is consistently removing those weeds. So if you let the weeds grow to a point where they go to seed, that causes more problems for you mm. because now the seed is inside the soil. But if you get rid of them before they go to seed, before they're able to, you know, go into the next lifespan, mm -hmm. then you cut back drastically on how many weeds you're going to have in the next season, though you'll still have weeds. And mm -hmm. so the Bible says, and I believe it's Proverbs 4, 23 says, keep thine heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So when you protect the field from the influence of weeds around, because you don't only want to just remove the weeds in the field, you have to mow down the grass that's around the field so that the wind won't blow those weeds into the field as well. And so you need to start setting up these hedges and these barriers to protect yourself from getting these different influences into your heart. And initially, the fruit that is brought forth in that first year, it may be good, but it may not be as much as you desire. But if you continue up the weeding and you continue up the removing of the stones, the next year you'll see more fruit. And then the next year you'll see more fruit. And then the next year you'll see more fruit until you notice that you're getting the bountiful harvest year after year. But one thing that never changes is every year more stones are going to come and every year weeds are going to come. But just because they're coming doesn't mean that you're not growing in grace or that you're not getting closer to Christ. The, those, there's a quote where Sister White says that trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods for discipline, but it's also his appointed means for success. And so the way that we look at our trials can actually change what we receive from it. So I'll, talk, I'll say to the brother or sister who says, you know, they tried it and everything like that. Maybe you've only been weeding for a year or two, mm. but the amount of weeds that you have in the field, the amount of weed seeds that are inside the field are less than if you had not weeded at all or that you had two years ago. So the progress in everything that you're having, like Akeem was saying, it may not be perceptible to the human eye, but there's progress nonetheless. 
And if, as long as you keep your eyes on Christ and you keep going in that direction, at the end of the day, you're going to see the difference from that garden to the one that it was when you first settled on the land. That is awesome. That is awesome. I want to say one thing and then I'm going to let you guys give closing statements. There is a misconception and I, and I'll say, and when I say this, I say this after years of kind of being in this, even angels who have never sinned don't feel holy in the presence of the Holy God. They've never sinned. They've never done anything wrong. They've been in eternity from before. And in the presence of a holy God, they definitely themselves don't feel like, yes, I'm worthy. I'm in heaven. I'm, they cover their face. I mean, I mean, that's the holiness of God. And so if you are in the presence of God and you're coming close to God and you start feeling unworthy, that is a good thing. That means the deceptions of sin have begun to fall from your eyes and God is beginning to speak to your heart in a way that you no longer trust yourself. And this is a good thing. So don't turn away from God when you fall. That's when he is nearest, right? Mm-hmm. So it says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It means that he's coming even nearer to you still. The object of the enemy is to get you so caught up in looking at where you have fallen mm-hmm. that you look away from Jesus. And there's one quote, one of the quotes that's just stayed in my mind for like ever. It's my favorite quote. Ola knows what it is. It says, as the student of the Bible beholds the Redeemer. There's awaken in the soul, the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. The trick of the enemy is very simple. He wants you to take your eyes off of Jesus. And if you can figure out how to find him, keep your eyes locked on him. Don't get distracted by preachers. Don't get distracted by the, the storms that are all around, don't get distracted by the, the errors that are flooding in, the apostasy that you're p- supposed to see. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and you're going to walk right through the midst of any crisis, of any storm. Uh, with that in mind, my brothers, closing thoughts. We've, we've come to the end. I can't believe we spent so far an hour and, I don't know, it was almost an hour and 20 minutes to 30 minutes. We've been going good. So let's, let's have some closing thoughts. Brother Akeem, uh, any last things you want to say to this audience that will catch this as they're scrolling through Facebooks, as they're watching this on YouTube somewhere, listening on podcasts, anything you want to say closing out? I would say uh, my last words would be that, you know, to really make time. I know that for a lot of people there, they have busy schedules. They have, um, they have major things that are going on in their lives, especially now with the situation that the world is facing. But I would say that God is calling each and every one of us to prioritize and to make time to spend with Jesus. And the reason that I say that is so that we come to a point of getting to know him for him and not getting to know him necessarily because of a crisis you see and so yes there are many who will come to god in crisis but the goal of god is not to allow it to get to that point until we look to jesus the good news about god is 
even though we may come to him at the last minute, he receives us as though we came to him first. Hmm. And so keep your eyes on Christ, as, as Pastor Waller, you were mentioning. Spend time, prioritize time and make time to spend God with, with Jesus and his word. Look for him as you're studying the Bible and you see things about Jesus. Mark those things down and continue to think on those things throughout the day. Hmm. And as our minds, um, as Desire of Ages says, contemplates the life of Jesus, it will begin changing us. Hmm. And so my prayer for each and every person looking is that there is hope. Yes. There is a savior that loves you. Yes. That same savior is your friend mm. and he wants you to be with him for eternity. Amen. 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 A good word, my brother. Good word. Brother, brother Ola. It's funny. I feel like Akeem keeps taking my thoughts. <laughs> but there's only one Holy spirit. Amen. Um, one thing that I would say is when, especially we're looking at, you know, the crisis and everything like that, something that's more important is, you know, looking to a bigger crisis because, you know, let's say that there is this crisis and there's a bigger crisis. All of our eyes will be taken off of what happened into the bigger picture. The biggest crisis that I, in my opinion, still exists is that, my sins put Christ on the cross. Wow. So regardless of if it's time of trouble, little time of trouble, great time of trouble, whatever it is, my sins put Christ on the cross. Mm. And if I were to keep my eyes on Christ on the cross, then as we're told, sin will become hateful to us. I won't want to do it anymore. And we know in, um, there was a sermon that I preached before on, basically the importance of looking to Christ, especially the closing scenes of his life on the cross. And we know in Hebrews chapter six, verse six, it teaches us that every time we sin, we crucify the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And when you go through and you do fall and everything like that, it does bring this, this type of guilt to you. And it helps you to realize, you know, your nothingness and that you put your Lord to shame. But one of the things that's even beautiful about that is when you crucify Christ again, that means that he's on the cross mm. and, and you crucify him and you look to him and you see what your sins have done. You're looking to him on the cross. And now that sin that you did, you have a hatred for, and you won't want to do it anymore. Mm. So one of the most important things that we can do is literally look to the cross. When you're studying the life of Christ, the closing scenes, Gethsemane, calvary and all these different things it really does something in you and it transforms you and it makes you want to you know you think about like just just thinking of the love of god if god loved the world so much that he gave his only son to mm. die on a cross not for the whole world yes he did but for me mm. then why would i be scared or why should i be afraid of any crisis if he's willing to go that length for me in dying on the cross, then what have I to fear? Hmm. And I think that if we, if we remember that, if we continually keep our eyes on the cross, then we'll have nothing to fear and we'll, we'll be able to make it home. Amen. Amen. Good word, my brothers. Good word. I pray that those who are listening will take heed, take that time with the Lord, carve out. I mean, you gave so many practical applications, 
beautiful motivational reading. It was just, it was awesome. Uh, before we close, I just want to invite whoever's listening right now, take this moment in time right now just to choose, right? You can choose right now to give your heart to Jesus. You don't have to wait 10 years from now. You don't have to wait five years. You don't have to wait. Like right now, you can say in your heart, Father, take my heart for I cannot give it. It's your property. Keep it for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself, my weak, unchristlike self. You can say that right now and ask God to take you and he will begin a work in you and just be patient with him as he's patient with you. <laughs> and you're going to see something beautiful happen in your experience. Uh, so let's bow our heads for prayer, Brother Akeem, if you don't mind, and close us out. All right. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to be here um, with Pastor Waller and Brother Ola and earlier and Brother Verlus. I pray, O oh God, that you may continue to strengthen us in our walk with you. And Father, I want to pray for those, as uh, Pastor Waller mentioned, that are looking, that are looking at this message, this video, this discussion that we had. I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened. Those who probably through different things that have happened in their lives may have had a hard time giving you a chance because they misunderstood you. May they give you a chance at this moment. Uh, those who have been walking with you and who have been wrestling, I pray that you may continue to strengthen them and that they may continue to fight of faith. Those who are seeking to walk with you, but they've noticed in their lives they're failing and they feel like they're not going anywhere. I pray that this discussion brought encouragement to them. And I pray that ultimately at last, when Jesus, our Savior and friend, will come, we may be found in him, that we might be with him forever, to have a life that measures with the life of God, that we mm. might be able to experience him eternally. May this be our hope, and one day may it be our reality, because we trust in the Lamb. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for coming on and taking the time to, uh, to teach us. And those of you who, are just, who have been listening on Facebook and on the Zoom webinar and those who are listening on podcasts, thank you for taking the time to listen. We very much appreciate you and you are in our prayers and hopefully you tune in tomorrow we're going to be going through the book education we're in chapter four and uh we're just we're just going in brothers and sisters we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of time to play with when it comes to knowing god it is our privilege and opportunity to know him and at every moment and every second that we can know him let's take the time to do that if you're listening and you want a the bible study guys that we send out on a regular basis please um, direct message me in my messages on Facebook, or if you have my email, my email is andre at thetokoa.org. Send that there, and I'll be happy to see you in the lesson guides as well. God bless you. Have a great evening. Maranatha. Amen.